0: Welcome to Broadcasting Common Ground, the Deep Foundation Institute's podcast channel. In this series, Morgan's Mentors, Morgan Neesmith will be talking with industry representatives about career challenges, mentor and mentee advice. In this episode, David talks about his mentors and the rewards of being a mentor.
1: All right, welcome to GFI's podcast channel, Broadcasting Common Ground. I am Morgan Neesmith, and it is time once again to move the needle with our show about mentorship and careers in the geotechnical world. Now, today we are going to dive into the sort of spooky side of geotechnics, the academic world, and our guest is Dr. David Frost of Georgia Tech. Uh, Dr. Frost is currently the Elizabeth and Bill Higginbotham professor in the Geosystems Engineering Group of Georgia Tech's School of Civil and Environmental Engineering. And aside from being one of my early personal mentors, when we were first developing this program, Dr. Frost had just been awarded that school's 2020 Graduate Mentorship Award. That's why we thought he would be a great guest uh, for us to talk to. So Dr. Frost, thank you very much for taking the time to join us today.
2: Thank you very much. I appreciate the opportunity.
1: Now, you may not know this, but we have dozens and dozens of fans across the world. And for those who weren't your students, uh, could you, we would like you to tell them a little bit about your background, uh, where you're from, and sort of how you got to your journey and your professional history and uh, how you've now been at Georgia Tech for over a couple of decades now.
2: Okay, so I, um, I was born in Ireland and um, grew up there uh through all of my schooling and my undergraduate degrees i went to trinity college in dublin and got degrees in mathematics and um, engineering and then uh, at that stage uh, i had already known that i was very interested in geotechnical engineering in fact i'd had the opportunity to work on a a mining project in ireland with um a consulting firm well-known golder associates and so i worked there during both my after my third and fourth years in college and then when that project finished i um, really didn't see anything else going on in ireland at the time that excited me and and so i decided one night in a bar with a friend after several beers that maybe it would be a great idea to um, see and go to Canada where there was lots of things happening at the time, uh, uh, particularly in the oil field and so on. And so the following morning, um, uh, we had arranged to go to the Canadian embassy to find out what we needed to do to, to emigrate to Canada. And when I called my friend uh, he must have sobered up and decided he wasn't going to go, but um, I decided, you know, I am going to go in the embassy at least. And then about six months later, I was in Canada without a job. I just um, um, decided I'd fly over there. I had a couple of contacts and I went to Calgary, which was kind of the, 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 the Houston of Canada, if you like, from a, an oil perspective. And uh, arrived on a Wednesday and I had a job by Friday and the rest of that is sort of history in terms of I working with with uh, in the consulting industry, but particularly in support of natural resources, mining, um, oil exploration and so on. Uh, During that time, I had amazing opportunities to to work in particularly northern Canada and actually. Um, north of the Arctic Circle. I spent about a year and a half total um, building artificial sand islands for oil exploration, living offshore, um, and and, uh, it was a most fascinating time. And at the same token, I began to realize that I was kind of maxing out in terms of the type of roles that I was playing for the companies I was working for, uh, based on the education I had so I felt that I needed to go back to grad school and and initially thought I'd just go for a master's and then um, uh, so I applied to several universities um, um, one in Canada and one in the states and, and although I was admitted to both of them I decided that lots of people in Canada were going to the Canadian university so as is often the case with me, I decided I needed to be different, and I would go to the American University, and then the assumption was that I would be going back to Canada to work, and if I was different, even if I wasn't as good, I might get a better job, or I might have a better chance of getting the job, so I did that. Um, the only thing was that master's became a PhD, and somewhere in that, I decided that I really enjoyed the freedom to be my own boss, um, as an academic. And in the end, however, I actually feel that um, I'm, I'm really like running a, a startup company. And I have been for 30 years, because there's so many similarities to running a research group as there is to running a startup company. First of all, I'm always responsible for bringing the money in to pay people. But, Secondly, and maybe the biggest difference is, I'm guaranteed to have 100% turnover of employees about every three or four years. So you are continuously in startup mode, and and I think that's actually what attracts me to it, and it's the excitement of that, and and bringing new ideas, starting new ideas, and and ultimately moving new ideas out into uh, practice as well, which 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 attracts me to it. So that's probably a longer answer than you needed, but uh, it, it kind of summarizes how somebody from a rural part of Ireland ended up uh, in a major metropolitan area like Atlanta at one of the top universities in the world.
1: Uh, I thought it was a pretty good summary, actually, and now it's, I'm glad you touched on what you've been doing the last couple of decades at Georgia Tech uh, because, as I mentioned in the, in the opening, you've now formally been recognized, I, what I think a number of your students would have been said informally about um, the, the uh, influence you've had on their uh, careers and just generally always there for, for advice uh, about life as well as just careers. But when you were starting out, when you were thinking about going back to school or once you got back into school, who were some of the mentors or could you talk about them a little bit? Were the formal relationships that you had, or and if they were informal, how did those start uh, in, in terms of who was important to you when you were going to needed someone to go to say for advice early in your, your decision-making career? Okay.
2: So <clears throat> I don't think uh, as best as I can kind of look back that I have ever actually been part of a formal mentoring program. Uh, And so I would say that that all of my own mentors um, were were informal. Uh, Some were, um, I would say, supervisors, um, but um, I, I, I see big differences between just a supervisor and a mentor. Um, and, and and to me, that's actually very important. I will say that I think, in the end, um, I have probably had a, a relatively few number of formal inter uh, mentors. Um, generally, at some sort of important milestone time in my career, when I was, for example, trying to make a decision, and and so. I relied on them um, for, you know, good advice, uh, but then an awful lot of the mentoring that I've seen over my life, or I've seen over my life, has been um, more me observing other people and picking little bits that I like, um, and, you know, uh, I've never tried to be a clone of somebody else, so... And when I look at other people, I'm like, well, I like that part of you, but I don't like this part of you. So I'm 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 going to pick the pieces that I like and discard the pieces that maybe I don't like. Having said that, I would probably say that, um, you know, the first time I really had to to make a, a, an important decision was when I actually decided that I would emigrate to Canada, and so at that point in time, I, I talked quite a lot with. My professor of soil mechanics um, at um, uh, Trinity College in Dublin, who, by the way, Morgan had a had a countenance rather similar to you, with with a beard and everything. So um, so that made him seem very wise when when I wanted to talk to him. And uh, he, but it was very valuable because he he really. Um, made a number of important points as I was deciding to, to pull up roots and, and head elsewhere. The The next mentor that I really had was a senior engineer um, when I was at Golder in Calgary. And I had been working on a number of projects for the consultant. Um, and we had a client which was one of the oil sands companies in Canada. And um, uh, I, I'm going to give a specific example of a bit of mentoring that, that, that I received. And that was the, the oil company asked if I would actually consider joining them. I'm, I'm sure their, I, their vision was, was that if they um, hired me directly, it would cost them less than to hire the consultant and pay a markup of three point, whatever it was on my salary. Um, so, uh, the um, what I did was, um, I went to my my boss and mentor, and his name is the guy's name was Jack Crooks. He happened to actually have been an Irishman also, and I remember I went into Jack's office and and I said, Jack, I have a problem. Uh, I'm very happy with my job here at Golder, but I've been approached by um uh, the oil company. To come and work for them and and i said you know in the end um it, it it's probably uh increase in salary of about 50 percent, but i i was genuinely honest that i was that was not my motivator and i said you know any thoughts about what i should do and i remember his first words out of his mouth he says well david first of all you don't have a problem you have a choice because you already have a good job and you're being offered another one. And he said, the people who have a problem are the people who don't have any jobs. So, and I remember, you know, but initially my reaction wanted to be, well, thanks for wasting my time, (laughs) but very quickly I thought, damn it, that is exactly the situation. It's not a problem. It's a choice. I'm struggling to make a decision. But to be honest, within about two days, I turned down the oil company and I and I stayed um, with the consultant, and 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 I didn't get a pay raise, but but um, I stayed there because I thought that it was giving me the opportunity to be involved in a much broader series of things. Probably, the other mentors that I would say that I've had. In my career where when I was doing my PhD, there was no doubt that my academic advisors um, um, really served as mentors for me and and I had I was fortunate to have two who were quite different. And so I used to go to one when I wanted to talk about certain aspects of, of the work, and I would go to the other one I talked about the other and and. I always was very careful not to create a competition between them, but um, but rather to integrate their inputs. And then perhaps finally, the last mentor that I I can kind of highlight was when I really started to take on some significant administrative work here at uh, Georgia Tech. Um, The uh, president at the time was Wayne Clough, another uh, geotechnical engineer. And I, I can definitely say that Observing him and his incredible um, leadership skills um, uh, were exposed me to things that I would say made me feel, hmm. If I'm going to do stuff, that's how I'm going to do it. I, I'll, I'll, you know, I like his style. Beyond that, everything else that is in God leading into what I do today. Is is really little bits and pieces that I've seen in some people and, and so a number of major individuals, but, 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 but not, not massive numbers.
1: I know what you mean. And I, I, I liked a couple of the things that you touched on one in particular, that even with the informal relationships, there were just certain people that you sort of knew you could go to in pivotal moments. And that's kind of ties in nicely with, uh, what I had, uh, wanted to talk about next. And like, for me, example, I, I think back to moving to Saudi Arabia for a job opportunity. And I, I had no idea what I was getting into, but it turned into being a very pivotal moment for me. And that came out of a conversation that you and I had. Um, and I was wondering if there were any sort of moments in your career. Um, and at the time, did you think That they were going to be some sort of big break or was it only in hindsight that you realized that was really the moment um that you 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 sort of got put on a path that really expanded your horizons and opportunities
2: um yeah the probably
1: you know what
2: one of the those pivotal moments was and, and i don't want to keep coming back to leaving ireland to go to canada but But at the time I was working with actually with a steel structural steel company and I was not enjoying the job. That was probably too much code for my liking. Uh, And I don't mean computer code. I mean, you know, following codes and bending moment diagrams and shear force diagrams and all of that. And that was that, that was not exciting me. And so right around the time when I applied to the Canadian Embassy for Immigration Status. I also applied for a job with a pipeline company that was looking to hire an engineer. They would send them to France for six months to work with a partner there. They were going to send them to Japan to work for six months to work with a partner there. And then they were going to have this engineer come back to Ireland and be the sort of their pipeline expert, for want of a better term. And I I use that carefully because you don't become an expert after six months in France and six months in Japan. And then obviously things started to to develop also with respect to Canada. And I remember at the time there I was facing, so what do I do? Do I stay in, in Ireland and just continue working with the steel company, even though I hate it? Do I maybe go a little riskier and do, you know, six months in France and six months in Japan and then become the the resident pipeline uh, guru? Or do I go to Canada without a job? And uh, fairly quickly, I decided the hardest of those things to do was to go to Canada without a job, and that's what attracted me to it because I felt if I did anything other than the most difficult thing, I would always be wondering: could I have done it? Could, you know, would I have done it? And and so, for me at the time, that was actually somewhat insightful because it made me realize um, whenever I come to a fork in the road. Um, uh, you know, I don't want to be a gambler, but don't take the conservative step. Uh, uh, There is no upper bound to what you can do if you uh, are are willing to put yourself out there for opportunities. So that's probably, you know, a, a clear example, maybe a little bit, when I had the the situation with staying with the consultant or going to the oil company was was somewhat similar as well. But but probably the the original case in Ireland was the most significant one.
1: And I think uh, any students or young engineers could benefit from hearing that, again, the way you put that, there is no upper bound. Um, That's an important point, I think, for them to to hear early in their careers. Um, We're going to shift just a little bit from uh, your uh, progression. Uh, to sort of what you've observed, maybe in students in particular, I was a student of yours, it turns out this year, 25 years ago, I graduated and things have changed somewhat since then. I've seen it uh, certainly from the corporate side um, in terms of, uh, I think the way companies treat young engineers and what young engineers expect from companies in terms of a little more formality and training and leadership, there's a little bit less of, we're going to toss you out and you're either going to make it or you're not. And I don't think anyone agrees that that was necessarily the right right approach. Um, But at the same time, I think students still need to bring something to the table. And I am curious as what you see, particularly, let's say, on a graduate level. um, Is there a characteristic that you see in a student that makes you think, I don't really know what they're going to do when they graduate, but they're going to be fine. They're going to make it. Um, as opposed to maybe someone you have a little bit more questioning about in terms of uh, how they are going to do after they after they graduate. Mm.
2: So I I have a couple of thoughts related to that, Morgan. So um, first of all, and I've said this, I say this many times to other colleagues, not just at Georgia Tech, but elsewhere. Um, And I say at times that. any faculty member can advise and mentor an exceptional student. Um, and quite often, the ones that are to me more important are the ones that you have to work more with to actually help them realize their potential. And, and so, for example, um, uh, when I go to recruit students to come and join, work with me and so on, I, I'm not just looking at GPA. I want to see what are these other characteristics that I see in this person? And so I'm actually somewhat famous. I should probably not be saying this in public, but I'm somewhat famous for calling students who have applied to come to graduate school out of the blue. I don't arrange the phone call. I just, you know, I get their phone number or whatever. Nowadays, maybe it's Zoom call sometimes. And I just, all of a sudden, they pick up the phone and there I am. And the reason I do that is that I don't want them to prepare for the call. I want to see them, who they are, and I want them to be able to, to, to you know, react to a situation that they hadn't been planning for and uh obviously quite a few students end up coming and joining me and that's one of the things they always tell me after I, so I couldn't believe you when you called me i was in the middle of breakfast and uh and and all of a sudden you were on the phone and i didn't know what to say and I, I said well you must have said the right things because you're here now and working with me um you know one of the things that i think is very important when it comes to mentoring first of all is is the context that um, uh, students see you in, and you may or may not have noticed it, but but I always talk about um, students who work with me, not students who work for me, and that's not just a oh bad English or or something like that. That is a very it's a very clear message of what I want to send. I mean, it's the same as if I was, if we were in industry, there'd be senior engineers, intermediate engineers, junior engineers, but guess what, we're all engineers. Uh, The same thing applies in academia, as far as I'm concerned. There may be senior professors, there may be uh, junior professors, there may be grad students, but we're all geotechnical academics. And and so the idea that we work together and not that somebody's working for somebody is critically important for me the other side of it then though is that when it really comes and and, and a student is here and they're working with me um what is most important for me is I want to see that they are enthusiastic for their work I don't want to feel that I'm having to you know drag them here I, I I want to see that they're excited about their work I want to see that they are um, coming up with ideas themselves. It's not that I want to send them off and say, "Okay, run these three tests and then come back to me, show me the results, and I'll tell you what what they mean. I say to them, no, no, run the tests and then come back and tell me what you think they mean. And, And so it's that working with, it's that interaction, which I think is critically important um to to the mentoring part of it, and then the other thing that I definitely like to see, even with graduate students is that they step up and help fellow graduate students, they help undergraduate students and that they're genuinely excited themselves, you know it's never too early to start behaving a little bit like a mentor because. By the time they graduate and let's say, for example, whether they go to industry or academia themselves, the day they stop being a graduate student on one side of the desk and and move to my side of the desk or your side of the desk, they they need to be comfortable that now people who are more junior to them. can go to them and expect good advice, reliable advice, and good guidance and good mentoring. So so that's the, that, that, those are some of the, I think, important things that I look for when I'm um, not only selecting students, but then have students working with me.
1: I like it, and I'll, along those lines, in terms of maybe preparing to be in a, a mentorship role um, as they uh, come out of graduate school, One thing that I've noticed is uh, maybe a little more over the past decade is somewhat of a fear of uh, I hate this. I'm not really going to say failure, but really more of a desire to be thought of as as perfect coming out of graduate school or a fear of being thought of as less than perfect. Um, When I know that if you're just coming out of school, you're a young engineer, you don't know everything. That's not what we expect. Um, But I think it's helpful for younger engineers to hear from uh, some people with more experience about, you know, whether it was an actual engineering problem or a career thing that something that just didn't go quite right or the way that you initially thought it would and why that that wasn't necessarily a bad thing. How, How did that turn into a positive experience, even though at the time it looked like it wasn't going the way you initially thought it was? So,
2: probably for me, um, certainly something that would fall into that category, um, and it's not a geotechnical failure, um, but I had a significant administrative role here at Georgia Tech for about 10 years, um, from around 2000 to about 2010, and that was involved with... with um, literally establishing and building the Georgia Tech Savannah campus and I I was serving as as the director of that of that activity and there was a change in leadership at Georgia Tech and the vision of the new leadership was that we did not need a campus in Savannah and so literally um, in a very short period um, a decision was made to essentially mothball um, the uh, the campus and the academic programs and and um, uh, the data will show it but we were on a very sharp trajectory of growth and, uh, things were going extremely well there was a wonderful relationship between that campus and the and the southeast Georgia um business and, and, and communities and everything. And so all of a sudden, um, that, you know, that was a certainly a change that I had not initially anticipated. And it certainly was not one that was open for discussion. It was, you know, a fait accompli, uh, when I was told about it. And fairly quickly, I realized that um, I could get very frustrated. And I could turn around and say, um, Okay, well, I'm, I'm, I'm a tenured faculty member, and I'm not going to do a damn thing for the next 15 or 20 years. And, uh, you know, because you've kind of uh, pulled the, the, the carpet from underneath me. And, and instead, I essentially took the complete opposite tact. And I said, no, um, I don't want to spend the next X years of my life being frustrated. Um, I am going to um, completely go back to being a a faculty member, interacting with students, teaching, research, doing service, professional service, and so on. And I can tell you that 10 years later, I have had the most, and I still am having the most amazing time. And probably something that I'm gonna say that if there are academic administrators listening here who may not be happy with me, graduate students and undergraduate students, quite honestly, are often much more fun to interact with than administrators. Um, I think sometimes uh, in academic world, there's a lot of echo chambers and uh, it, to me, I find the creativity that exists when you're part of a team that's made up of students and exploring research and, and, and or even in the classroom and you know, doing term projects and so on, that's a far more exciting environment. So uh, to me, I had a change imposed on me. I was not planning to make that change that change but but to be honest I am totally um, happy that it happened or it occurred and um, it, it's probably um, taken me to places where um, I, I might not even have otherwise thought I, I thought about going so
1: and I, uh, I, knowing a little bit about that story, personally, I appreciate that you shared it because it's exactly the kind of thing I was thinking along the lines of something in my own career was not nearly as dramatic, but similar sort of circumstances. Um, and just thinking about how things have gone since then, I think, again, the more students or, and young engineers can hear that, the maybe they won't worry so much about when those kinds of things crop up and, and, and maybe take it to... Uh, take it so hard. Um, We are planning on talking to a variety of guests across the geotechnical industry. So in talking about the research uh, and academics specifically, beyond just taking the classes, what is it that graduate students can really do to prepare themselves if they think to themselves, I really want to go into this, I like what the, the way Dr. Frost handles himself. And that's what I want to do with with my career. What can they be doing, again, beyond just taking the right classes and, and doing the right research? So can they be doing to prepare themselves for that kind of uh, career? Um,
2: so I think the first thing I'll say is that um, I've been very fortunate to work, for example, with a large number of PhD students um, and, and a number of master's students as well who have gone on to positions in academia themselves. In fact, about 50% of the graduate students that have worked me are now in academic positions. And I think in part, some of that is not because I told them to go into academia, but because they had such a wonderful experience being part of the kind of environment and the group that i know i try to create that it it, it made them realize that's what i want to do that's the excitement that what i want to do and now in order to do that though for example um it's not just about okay take 10 classes and get you know, nine a's and a b and uh, and uh, do some good research and write a thesis. To me, I think part of what makes academia exciting for people is to See and have the opportunity while a student to be exposed to other parts of it. For example, um I very much like to try and include um, site visits in just about all of my classes. And the reason I do is because, first of all, even if I think I've done a great lecture in class, it's what they see when they go to the site. And they interact with engineers from whoever the, whatever the company might be, whatever the project might be at the time. That's where it becomes reality. You know, I often use the expression that when you open up a a, a textbook and you look at a picture of an excavation, it is perfectly vertical sides and the groundwater is off the bottom of the page. And I'm not sure I've ever gone to a real excavation where, you know, Some of the side slopes aren't sloughing in and there's water coming in in places that you have no idea where it came from. And so, first of all, getting them to see how being in academia does not separate you from practice. In fact, if anything, you can embrace practice and have um, uh, exciting uh, interactions by trying to bridge that that activity is important. The second thing, though, is is that I encourage students uh, working with me to to really try and uh, explore, um, you know, things like entrepreneurship and creativity. And so uh, I mentioned, uh, you know, 50 percent of the students who have worked with me have um, are in academia, but I would say probably 20 percent of the students who've worked with me um, are either owners of their own companies or uh, at least co-owners or have risen up into the leadership uh, positions in companies. And I think that is also because they get exposed earlier in their early in their careers to see that um, uh, a career is not just about, technical knowledge but it can be also about managing ideas managing people um uh, coming up with creative solutions you know i uh, i i'm not saying this because i happen to be talking to one but right now but um uh i i in a general sense feel that specialty contractors are some of the most creative organizations out there because if you can be creative and, uh, and innovative that 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 feeds back into uh, project success and profit and so uh, to me that that's something that that i think makes it very exciting you're not just doing cookie cutter engineering you're really trying to say well we know where we need to get how can we get there and what are the, some new ideas or approaches that we might take so
1: um, well, we do appreciate the shout out for sure. Though. Yeah. <laughs>
0: um,
1: but that was, again, I appreciate the answer. And it's time right now for us to take a very brief break. We're going to recognize the sponsor of this week's episode, uh, Cone Tech, and thank them. And we're going to hear from them now and we'll be back in a minute. Okay, well, we want to thank Dr. Frost again for joining us today. But before we go, David, there's one question that we were asking everyone that comes on the podcast and joins us here. If you could interview anyone, living or not, uh, for this particular podcast, who would that be and why?
2: Um, so I'm going to give you a non-geotech um, and... It's also somebody who's no longer living. So probably won't be able to, to interv- interview them for the podcast. But for a variety of reasons, somebody that I think I would find fascinating to interview for this podcast would be Mohandas Gandhi. The um, uh, You didn't see that coming, did you? Uh, no. Uh, 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 I remember uh, I, growing up, I always um, thought he he was a, a what I would call a fascinating individual. He had great vision, but he he was obviously very much uh, wanted to make change happen from a peaceful point of view. And to be honest, we have a number of even people nowadays, and more recently in our own times, who, who rise to that they 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 very much want to take uh, peaceful approaches to um, being a force for change what what I particularly like, though, about Gandhi is. I feel I always felt that he he had ideas and vision, which were different, he was comfortable and willing to question things that lots of people said oh well let, let's assume this and and, cons- and in the end that would that can sometimes constrain what you do uh, so from that point of view uh i i I've, I've always just had a great admiration for him um i went to india after the 2001 bhuj earthquake and uh, needless to say going to an earthquake zone and and also uh, you know Certain areas that I visited, uh, even in the best of times, there was lots of poverty and and uh, let's say less than um, wonderful conditions. And then the last day I was there, um, I happened to go to his compound in a town called Ahmedabad. And what was amazing was you turned in the gate to the compound. And there was just immediately a sort of a very calm feeling. Um, people, you know, there was all the hustle and bustle outside, all of the craziness and everything. And then once you were inside there, it was just a peaceful place. And uh, I remember thinking at the time, wow, this does not surprise me, this contrast, simply because of what I had uh, um. Come to appreciate of of him as an individual and so um yeah probably not your standard answer for a dfi um, uh, 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 podcast related question but you know in in the end the short answer is, is i i'm interested in interacting with good people and people who have um uh who care for other people and it's not about themselves, it's about lifting other people up. I think that's what's particularly important.
1: And I think there are those of us out there who would argue that that's what's uh, made you such an effective mentor over the years. Um, But I appreciate it. Uh, uh, I think it was a great answer and I wanna thank you again uh, for taking the time to join us. Also, for all the dozens and dozens of fans out there, we appreciate all of you tuning in and listening, and we look forward to you joining us again for our future episodes as we talk to more of Morgan's mentors. And until then, remember, the truth will send a ripple through your body.
0: On behalf of DFI, we hope you enjoyed this episode. The views, information, and opinions expressed during Deep Foundation Institute's podcasts are solely those of the individuals involved, do not necessarily represent those of DFI. DFI does not verify or take responsibility for the accuracy of the information contained, nor does it warrant that the information contained herein is suitable for any general or specific use. The podcast is available for private, non-commercial use only. Editing, modification or redistribution of this podcast is prohibited. Sponsored by Dan Brown & Associates and Tech. Thanks for your time, keep on surviving.